This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. During the 19th century, real-life doctors started playing God, even trying to reanimate the dead. We're bringing those stories to life on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics, stories, history, and people of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature, sometimes. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Frankenstein, the doctor and his monster, are iconic horror and pop culture figures. Generally, the story of Frankenstein follows some pretty basic beats. Dr. Victor Frankenstein, mad scientist, experiments with reanimation, creating a grotesque monster from the sum of spare corpse limbs. Ultimately, the monster becomes unwieldy, goes on the lamb, sometimes kills people, and sparks general chaos. Yeah, he is just wilding out. (laughs) (laughs) It's familiar and feels almost like a trope now, but at the time of the book's first publishing, it was scandalous. Maybe you've read 1818's Frankenstein. I have. It's great and still a thrilling read after 200 years. Or you've probably seen at least one movie or TV adaptation. What was your favorite part about the 1818 Frankenstein? There are some parts where like they just, it just describes like the twisted visage of the monster and it just sounds genuinely scary. I I like that it's like the narrative within the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I read it, I think I read it in college, but it also has a whole subtext to it. Nice. Which is just more than the monster. Like it's a, it's a pretty great book. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's the very first time the story hit the screen in 1910's silent one-reeler film, and it's about 16 minutes long. And then Boris Karloff, a.k.a. Karloff the Uncanny, famously portrayed the monster in 1931's Frankenstein. That's where the line, it's alive, it's alive, comes from. Mm-hmm. He then reprised that role in Bride of Frankenstein, where the bolt-necked monster gets swiped left on by his intended girlfriend. <laughs> like, <laughs> he has this this partner that's supposed to be his, and she's like, uh-uh. And, you know, respect to her, okay? Yeah. There have been mm-hmm. all kinds of interpretations of the monster and his maker. Some are more comedic than the others, like... The Mel Brooks uh, classic Young Frankenstein, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Monster Squad. I, I've i seen Young Frankenstein, the Rocky Horror Picture Squad. I haven't seen Monster Squad, but when I first saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I never, I saw it like at home. I never went to the theater and put like a V on my forehead and got, mm-hmm. you know. Never did the midnight show. No, and I, I, if there are some, I do want to do that. They do them in LA, maybe sometime when you're here. I would, I would totally do be down for sure. In regards to Monster Squad, I think some kids, you know, you had your particular thing. Maybe you were a Goonies kid. Maybe you were a Labyrinth kid. Maybe you were a Monster Squad kid. Correct. I was Labyrinth and Goonies. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't see Monster Squad until an adult. Okay. Okay. So what were you? Were you a Goonies Labyrinth? No, I was a a Return to Oz kid. (laughs) 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 But like all those like kind of like macabre sort of kids Yeah. Well, you were a little off, so... No, just kidding. Oh, yeah, just kidding. yeah. I mean, quite frankly, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, at the very first time, I think it was our, was it our first episode? But we talked about some like Victorian dolls or something. You said, you told me a story of you as a child with 
some sort of I'm like, yep, that sounds like Lee. She yeah. was just yeah. adorably I was different. All of it. I was into all of it. <laughs> I love it though. It's very charming. And child me probably would have scoffed at the Hotel Transylvania series. Sure. Because it wouldn't have seemed scary enough. Um, but it that series endears Frankenstein to kids by pairing him as the lovable yet pyrophobic best friend of Dracula, mm-hmm. which you know, makes sense he's afraid of fire. <laughs> and they affectionately even call him Uncle Frank. I know. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yes. Uh, well, the first one. Oh, okay. I know if, that they end up on a cruise ship. Yeah, I really didn't. I mean, yeah, the first one was like, it's fun. It's cute. But it's like, I, I personally just didn't need to see the other ones. It just wasn't like, oh. But yeah. um, but yeah, and then there's the 2014's I Frankenstein, which... Ooh. I have not seen, but watched the trailer for, but you have seen, Elise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sort of a weird action movie starring Aaron Eckhart as Adam Frankenstein's biblically on-the-nose creation. Um, like, okay, okay, get it. He's the first man. We get it. Um, and he's also, like, really good with swords, apparently. And then he wants to save mankind from a bunch of monsters that are like him. Yeah. Like, because I didn't know what to expect because I... haven't seen it and so I watched the trailer and it was the complete opposite of what I was expecting um it looked kind of cheesy yeah it really doesn't feel like it goes dark enough okay okay it's just at a certain point you could trade it for any generic action exactly figure it doesn't really yeah yeah and that it came out around the same time as Dracula Untold another weird classic monster action flop which coincidentally was supposed to be the first film in the Tom Cruise-led Dark Universe franchise that folded. Oh, yeah. We were going to get them. Well, we got the mummy with Tom Cruise. But we were going to get the yeah. Invisible Man. We were going to get, I think, Bride of Frankenstein with Angelina Jolie, maybe. Ooh, okay. We are going to get Wolfman. Wow. No, <laughs> I just can't see Tom Cruise in anything else other than... I don't know. How much do you think he wished it was Mission Imbarbable weekend? <laughs> I bet, I bet, I'm still thinking about it, how he must have hoped and prayed. Completely just, just glossed over that. Yes, but there are so many other times that the big man Frankie has appeared on the silver screen, and there are certain qualities and character attributes that have become so synonymous with the character. I like, I think about the neck bolts, Mm -hmm. the big like platform shoes, if you want to go really monster with it, Mm. he's got... The arms outstretched <laughs> as he sort of lumbers towards you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are, of course, talking about the monster, not the doctor here, which is a whole thing, too. Colloquially, the monster is called Frankenstein, but the most erudite of literary buffs will correct you. The doctor is Victor Frankenstein, technically making his creation Frankenstein's monster. Anyway, it does make you wonder, would his creator, Mary Shelley, enjoy the fight choreography and explosive scenes of I, Frankenstein? <laughs> I mean, you know? Maybe. She'd probably be pretty scared. Like, if we just <laughs> plucked her and transported her and we're like, watch this, she'd probably faint. Oh, totally. Yes. With t- yes, absolutely. But, you know, but, but, but would she laugh at Gene Wilder's eccentric doctor or appreciate the liberties taken with Penny Dreadful's modern lovelorn monster? I mean, who knows? Her first novel is one of the earliest in its genre of science fiction and a masterpiece in not just horror, but political subtext. It's a parable of like the proletariat and Marxist literary theory. All the more mind blowing when you consider that she started writing at the age of 18. Yeah, she was only 21 when it was published, like January 1st, 1818. And it it caused a stir and has begged the question, what inspired a young Shelley to write such a tragic and terrifying tale? 
Yeah, and we can point to a bunch of things. The full title of the novel, including the subtitle, is Frankenstein, semicolon, or the modern Prometheus. So she was drawing on the Greek myth of Prometheus who stole fire from the gods and molded humanity out of clay. He gave fire and life to humanity, not unlike Dr. Victor Frankenstein breathed life into his creation. Yeah, and she was clearly well-read. She grew up around a lot of really brilliant and scientific and literary minds, including her own parents. And sometimes they would have these visiting scholars come and stay with them. Charles Darwin's grandfather was one of them. Shelley herself was not educated at prestigious prep schools and universities like her male uh, contemporaries, including the poet Lord Byron, who, I don't know why I said it like that, <laughs> who Shelley spent one fabled summer with among other friends. I mean, that's probably how Mary Shelley said it. So I think exactly. you're right on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I love that, like, she's she's educated, she's educated at home, probably, mm-hmm. a lot, and that's impressive. Like, and so this was a really, really wet summer, and so they couldn't go out and do stuff, so they're all trapped in the house. And so Lord Byron suggests that they pass the time, this little group, stuck inside by writing ghost stories. And we don't really know what the rest of them wrote or even think about it, but we know what she did, Mary, and it was a banger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't we do this during lockdown? Like we were locked down and- I did. did. I wrote that children's book. You did. Actually, you did. <laughs> oh my God. You're her. Oh my God. I'm the new Mary Shelley, said I, no one ever. <laughs> but no, but I actually did uh, when we were talking about how she- um, was very, very bright, even though she didn't go to any prestigious schools or anything. I mean, I know that you went to college and everything, but like you are also very well read and very, very intelligent. I thought of you when we were talking about that part. So, um, but anyway. (laughs) Well, I I think also like for her, it's, it's, she grew up in this place where there was a lot of academia around her and it's not like she's on TikTok for three hours a day. Like she's reading literature. She's talking about all these ideas happening in the zeitgeist. So I think people are skeptical of her, but it makes sense. Totally. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She and her husband, fellow uh, writer and poet Percy Shelley, had just traveled through the Rhine Valley past the Frankenstein Castle. Maybe they had heard stories of alchemist Johann Conrad Dippel, who was rumored to have robbed graves and experimented on corpses in that castle. I mean, I feel like that would... <laughs> that hey, would be big inspiration. That, for I was me. about to say, like that's some pretty heavy inspiration right there. Yeah, there's there was a 1931 re-release of the book where in the preface she speaks to a nightmare that she had that summer, and she wrote, "I saw with shut eyes but acute mental vision. I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir." with an uneasy half-vital motion. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. I'd be like, okay, well, I better put this down. Yeah, I better immediately write that down. And I don't want to get reamed in the comments anywhere, but this reminds me, and and this is such a really bad comparison, but like um, Stephanie Meyer, who wrote Twilight, also had a dream. Did she? Also, I I believe she said in an interview that she had a dream uh, about Twilight. What now is Twilight? And then she wrote it, wrote the book. All these awesome authors just having dreams, writing books. Love it. Oh, God. Can you imagine your brain just doing the like backseat work for you while you're asleep? Oh, yeah. That must be yeah. incredible. Yeah. For her youth and, and other reasons, Shelley's legacy and legitimacy as Frankenstein's author has since been questioned and undermined, which we take issue with on this podcast. Yeah, we but we do. Yeah, we f- find it very... 
believable that a self-educated woman who by the time of, of writing her novel had already suffered the death of her own children would have something to say about life. Yeah. When it was released, the public defaulted to assuming it was written by a man, mm. um, partly because when it was first published, her name wasn't on it because she feared there would be mm-hmm. social retaliation. Mm-hmm. And then it was an even bigger scandal when the true author's identity came out. Mary Shelley endured a ton of tragedy throughout her life. She's lost siblings, parents, and her children. And in uh, 1822, Percy died on a boat that sunk during a storm, leaving Mary widowed at the age of 25. And along with that, she carried this weight and stigma of society's judgment. Percy was married when they met, and she was 16, and her father disowned her. She and Percy then had, I think, two kids out of wedlock, and then society just never let her forget it. They rejected her, and I could see her being like, I'm going to put my own rejection into a character that I'm writing. Yeah, no, yeah. Mary, she she deserved better. She was a smart, savvy woman. But mm-hmm. more on that when we hear from our sponsors. Jess, girl dinner is all the thing right now. It is. I have it almost every night. Me too. And you know, one of the things that I include in my little spread of things that I have with my girl dinner? What? I include some nuts, okay? I include some dried fruit, all right? And you know where I get those from? Where? Nuts.com, baby. Woo! Yes. I freaking, I love nuts.com. Me too. I got their greatest hits package. So it has a mixture of all the goodies. Like if you can't decide what to get or if you just like everything. So I got Mm -hmm. some dried strawberries, organic trail mix, um, their dark chocolate, uh, oh my God. Yes. So good. Sea salt almonds. Like it's everything is delicious. Yes. And nuts.com, it's not saying enough because they also have superfood powders. They've got chocolate, like you've mentioned. They even have coffee and tea That's that you amazing. can get. They're doing it all over at nuts.com. And let me just say, too, something that I don't think about enough is, you know, I snack on them, right? You snack on a bowl of nuts mm-hmm. or whatever. But just thinking about, adding nuts and stuff to your other meals. I make a lot of salads and sometimes I'll just take like a handful of walnuts and just toss them in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so buying from nuts.com, it being your one-stop shop for all your freshly roasted nuts, dried fruits, sweets, pantry staples, you know, specialty flowers, et cetera. They have this wide selection. That means you get something for everybody. You can stock up and have all of this at the ready. I love that nuts.com, like their their quality is a top priority. So they, mm-hmm. they roast their nuts and pop their corn the same day that it ships. They got corn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they got popped corn. Yeah. So they reach you like deliciously fresh and satisfaction is mm-hmm. absolutely guaranteed. Yeah. They have gluten-free options too, which I'm trying to eat as much gluten-free as possible. So I've definitely gotten um, a selection from them that, you know, helps me do that. And that includes like certain nuts. They have cooking and baking mixes that are gluten-free. And I I appreciate that. They're they're thinking about everybody here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. We love it. We love you, Nuts.com. Love you, Nuts.com. And right now, Nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of $29 or more at Nuts.com slash 30mm. So go check out all the delicious options at Nuts.com slash 30mm. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's Nuts.com slash 30mm. 
It is our favorite season here at 30 Morbid Minutes. Spooky season. Yes. So we are knee deep in episodes right now, bringing you the best spooky content. But that also means that we are so, so busy. Have no time. But you know what I've got plenty of? Good meals. Yes. We do not have to resort to the girl dinner, Jess, because we have someone in our corner here. We got HelloFresh and saved time at the store and... I feel like I am thriving when I have HelloFresh in my home because I know that I have a meal that I can come home to and it's good and I can not worry about what I'm having for dinner. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about like getting frozen meals and putting a bunch of like gross things into my body because yeah, HelloFresh has over 40 recipes to choose from every week. So you always have like deliciousness at your fingertips. Yes. They bring all those in-season ingredients right to your doorstep along with their chef-crafted recipes. They have chefs that are curating these recipes like the sheep pan Dijon onion crunch chicken. I would never think to make that. Oh my God. And then everything goes from farm to your door for peak freshness. Yeah, that's perfect. It's kind of like having a personal assistant for your kitchen, which, God, I've always wanted. Mm -hmm. Your ingredients show up pre-portioned, complete with easy-to-follow recipe cards with pictures. So if you are kind of like counting calories like I'm currently doing, everything's just already figured out, which is fantastic. Oh, man. And if you've ever seen me try to cut a cucumber without photo, it's like a Kardashian, (laughs) okay? My hands are all (laughs) twisted. You You would. That is you. Yeah. They've also got their quick and easy options, including their 15 minute meals, which is perfect because like I said, we're kind of busy right now. That's the one I got. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which one did you get? I usually get the, (laughs) an indication of me. I usually get the like family size healthy ones (laughs) because they give you more portions. And even though it's just me and my husband, I'm like, oh, we'll cook more and then we'll have leftovers for lunch. There you go. No, that's great. Me and Devin need to get on board with more family style because like we just we're we're kind of like always on our own. So I'm like quick and easy and Devin uh-huh. likes to experiment. But thankfully, HelloFresh has options for all of that. Oh, yeah. For whatever type of cook you are. It's great. Yeah. So, you know, get HelloFresh so you can save time and enjoy more spooky season. Yes. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 5030MM and use code 5030MM for 50% off plus free shipping. That's 50% off plus free shipping when you go to hellofresh.com slash 5030mm and use code 5030mm. Now back to the show. So yeah, Mary Shelley, she was contributing new ideas, right? Yeah, she, I think we can say, deserves to be remembered in a, in a, positive way for the work that she did and to be assigned credit for it. Yeah, she lived during a time when the evolving science behind electricity and magnetism was gaining traction and excitement. And it was the age of exploration and expeditions were being taken to the North and South Poles to conduct research around the Earth's natural polarity. Yeah, which probably accounts for like why the North is a setting, Mm -hmm. the Arctic's a setting in Frankenstein too. But um, the foundations of modern medicine, as we've talked a lot on this podcast, were also starting to take root. And there was this growing interest and fascination in dissection and understanding of human anatomy. A ton of organized medical colleges opened their doors in the late 18th century in both England and in the U.S. And doctors were traveling between them and developing reputations for their respective fields. Mm -hmm. And Mary and Percy, they knew and socialized with a lot of these key thinkers And they were both fascinated by the study of electricity, specifically galvanism, which you might ask, what is galvanism? 
Well, scientifically speaking, her, mm-hmm. but as I push my glasses up, um, <laughs> it is the generation of chemistry by electrical means. But in biology, it's stimulating muscle contraction as forced by an electrical current. And in the context of Frankenstein, it's using electrical charge to create life or reanimate the undead. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Juliet Burba, chief curator of the exhibit Mary and Her Monster, told Atlas Obscura, this was a time when people were trying to understand the origin of life when religion was losing some of its hold. There was a lot of interest in the question, what is the essence that animates life? Could it be electricity? Fascinating. Yeah. So this Mm -hmm. concept was circulating in the intellectual uh, circles that Mary Shelley ran with. And it's certainly something that would have been a hot topic of conversation among the societal smarties like her. In the same 1831 preface we mentioned earlier, Mary directly references galvanism as an inspiration for the novel and captures an exchange she had with Lord Byron, writing, perhaps a corpse would be reanimated Galvanism had given token of such things. Perhaps the component parts of a creature might be manufactured, brought together, and endued with vital warmth. Such a great imagination. But also, I can see with why she even went there. Like, it, that is a, a food for thought, you know? Yeah, well, all this stuff is happening in society around her in the field of science. Mm-hmm. She's talking with all these other great minds where this is a conversation that they're having. And then also even just like, you mentioned earlier, like traveling past the Frankenstein castle in real life and hearing these rumors of this mad doctor there. Like I could see why she would, they had this competition and she'd think like, oh, I've got a lot of inspiration for an idea here. Yeah. And it's very likely that Shelley was familiar with some of the stories and accounts of doctors and scientists who were performing and had performed their own research studies in the field of galvanism reanimation. Yeah, and this is where we get to it. The sickos. Um, <laughs> Which you've all been them, waiting for. Yeah, this, this is it. Um, the infamous Giovanni Aldini, who was performing experiments in the years leading up to Mary writing her novel. So kind of like the late 18th century was when he got kicking. He was born in Bologna, Italy. Right, Jess? Bologna, Bologna, Italy. He studied physics and human mm. anatomy. Galvanism is actually named after Aldini's uncle, Luigi Galvani, who experimented with animal electricity (laughs) and the the transference and the generation of electricity in bodies of animals. Galvini did a lot of those kinds of experiments that, you know, involve running wires from from frog to frog through jars of liquid. Yeah. That was his whole body. You see them in like high school science Yes, 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 yeah. (laughs) On January 26, 1781, Galvani and his assistant were working on a frog dissection near a static electricity machine. When the assistant touched a scalpel to the frog's leg nerve, it jumped. These spasms were also observed in other frogs near or touched by metal instruments. And he died sort of not the best reputation. People kind of thought he was a quack. And Aldini took over like a, like a you know, you take over someone's practice. Mm-hmm. He sort of took that over after his retirement, a.k.a. death. And he wanted to kind of restore his uncle's legacy because he thought that he was onto some fascinating and Mm -hmm. real stuff here. But frogs weren't enough for Aldini. He set his sights on performing similar and grander experiments, but with human cadavers. Yeah. So what did he do with them, you might ask? Aldini didn't have to steal corpses like Victor Frankenstein. He was given them. One particular uh, cadaver he procured from the Newgate Prison hanging grounds in London. 
We talked about Newgate in our episode about hangings. In 1803, a criminal named George Forster was hanged there for murder. After the hanging, Aldini headed straight to the College of Surgeons where Forster's body was held, and he just went to town. He applied conductors to the uh, cadaver on limbs and just in about every orifice that you can think of that would send electric shocks, causing Forster's limbs to convulse. Apparently, Aldini wanted to put on a show, so to speak, and demonstrate that motion could be restored to a dead body. And had he actually succeeded, though, in bringing Forster's body back to life, um, that probably would have landed him in a lot of hot water, Aldini, because legally and ethically, he'd be reviving a criminal who, you know, the the state decided this person needs to be executed. So he was really playing with fire there. (laughs) Yeah. And the Catholic Church would have probably taken major issue with how this might undermine some of their beliefs. Oh, yeah. The the idea that, like, God creates life, like the church would have been like, Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Aldini maintained, though, that the object of his experiments was not to produce reanimation, but merely to obtain a practical knowledge of how far galvanism may be employed to revive persons under similar circumstances. And while he was a man of science, he was a man of his times science. So he held a bunch of antiquated beliefs that we know now to be scientifically untrue, like dead bodies holding certain humors that would prevent them from reanimating, or that only the freshest of cadavers held quote-unquote vital powers that would enable them to reanimate. And ultimately, he thought that the science of galvanism could offer a great service to Britain. Like, he's like, I'm doing this for you guys, (laughs) because we're in a maritime seafaring nation, and this country would probably benefit from having a process to revive drowning victims, which, like, this feels like a little bit of, like, a one-for-you-one-for-me thing, Mm -hmm, (laughs) because mm -hmm. it's kind of like, he's he's clearly interested in maybe in a creepier way, but he's like, well, but think of the public good, you know? (laughs) That's what weird, creepy people do, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Controversial scientist and Dr. Andrew Yori was also into galvanism and performed experiments and had access to cadavers thanks to England's Murder Act, which uh, decreed that the corpses of executed criminals could be used for medical experimentation. Like Aldini, Yori took the body of a hanged criminal, and in November 1818, he used two voltaic battery-charged metallic rods to make the dead body dance and and be puppeted for a pretty shocked theater full of medical students at the University of Glasgow. Yikes. The body was of a 35-year-old coal miner, Matthew Clydesdale. Yuri really, really wanted to bring a dead person back to life. Like, unlike yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Aldini, he was like, oh, no, no, that's what I want to do. Yeah. He didn't care about the ethics of reviving a murderer. This was like Victor Frankenstein level shit. Sure. When he sent shocks through Clydesdale's diaphragm and saw the dead man's chest rise and fall as if he were breathing again, Yuri wrote, quote, the success of it was truly wonderful, end quote. You could surmise from reading his records that he took a morbid pleasure in what he was doing. Just read some of his journals and you will see that this guy was on some freaky shit. Mm. He described one corpse's spasming fingers as, quote, moving nimbly like those of a violin performer. Like he was all into this. He compared the twisted expressions of his cadaver's face to the works of romantic painter Henry Fusili. He was off the chain. (laughs) Yeah, like I think... um, you know, some of this and and you get this in different other works of Frankenstein where it's like, oh, the doctor is more invested in the science and, and 
than they are in like the humanity of what they're doing. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, the the actual humanity gets kind of removed from the equation. Yeah. So to speak. And it's so interesting because I feel like there's so many things that I don't know if we would have gotten as far as we did in med- in the medical world if maybe there were some scientists that did think a lot about humanity, which sucks. It's a, such a, it's, it, I don't know, it sucks both ways. But. Yeah, because we do know now that like electrical currents, they can't reanimate life in the way that these guys of course, thought it yeah. might, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. With that being said, these early experiments did lead to discoveries and certainly paved the way for technologies like defibrillation, which is, um, what are those, the, the thingies, the, the chest yeah. things, yeah. Clear. <laughs> Clear, yeah. Um, though looking at them in a modern lens, we're all like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is like they did have to do their kind of like gruesome and grim stuff to maybe get us to that point. Or maybe there was a better way of getting there, but this is this is how it happened mm-hmm. for the better or worse. Like, And so they're doing this and there's a lot of accounts of they would do these things in public too because it was like kind of like gladiators fighting. It just became like a, or hangings. It was like a, a fascinating thing to do for the public. But then just social mores and values started to change. And, you know, by the end of kind of the 19th century, the public at large was getting really uncomfortable with it. Yeah. They were like, we, we're not into this anymore. We don't think this is socially acceptable. For sure. And I, I know I say this on like almost every podcast episode we do, but like, I feel like there's just certain things that we as humans have done. Like we've, we had to do these things before we could walk type situation, (laughs) you know, crawl before you walk. And there's just things that we have done and learned not to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that society always has that kind of like 2020 hindsight yeah. where society is hopefully always improving and getting better and humanity is always improving and getting better in general. And this is definitely one thing that I think looking back, it's like, oh, geez. For sure. Unrelated note, I still haven't watched The Blob. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you will? I yeah, just, well, I, I just want you and James to just like eat a little gummy and just kind of <laughs> watch the blob. <laughs> Become blobs, watch the blob. You know what it is? Yeah. It's like, do I watch the original? Do I watch the 1988 one that you were into? So I haven't watched the original, so I can't really say anything about it. But I mean, do you guys like like cheesy 80s movies? I think you do. I watched The Fly (laughs) for no reason several months ago. So yes, I do. Okay. Then I mean, hey, it's just a good time. It's just a good time. But um, yeah, I can't, I can't be the one to tell you whether or not, I mean, has just Josh watched either of them? Maybe he'll give you some better advice. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But let's see. Let's check out the rating on the blob. There you go. Here, 68%. Which okay, one? They, so the eighty-eight version. The eighty-eight audience score fifty-two percent though. That's that's hurting it a little bit. Okay. All right. What about the original? Oh wait, is this? This is not the original. Wait. No. This. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the original right now. I thought I was clicking on the other one. Okay. So blob is the blob eighty-eight on Rotten Tomatoes? It should be. That's the one that you consider the classic. Kevin Dillon. Oh, Kevin Dillon's in it. Yes. Yes. Wow. I know. Oh, higher audience score fifty-seven percent. Okay, and then critic score? 64%. All right, that was a little bit better. I don't think you should start that one. (laughs) In a tiny California town, high school students Brian, Meg, and Paul discover a strange gelatinous substance that melts the flesh of any living creatures in its bath. (laughs) 
director Chuck Russell. Oh, Frank Darabont's one of the writers on it. Sounds like, this sounds like a movie for you. Chuck Russell also wrote The Mask. There you okay. go. Okay. That's, that's working in your favor. I'm a bi- big fan. Where <laughs> um, he directed The Mask. And, oh, oh, and he directed A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. It's my, maybe is, my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street. This is you. This is you. This is wow. you need to see it. And he directed The Scorpion King. <laughs> that's the one. That's what's going to drive you home, Elise. <laughs> Man, the Rock's okay. first movie? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I will watch The Blob tonight. Okay. Nice. And then maybe we can think of a way to kind of, you know, doctor it. I don't know. Find a way that we can create The Blob. You know? Do you mean like going and buying, like going to Toys R Us and buying all that goo? Yeah. And we just create a blob, man. Talk about Frankenstein. You're just, you want us to do eco-terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I promise promise by the time, before the season ends, I will have watched The Blob. Okay, what's a movie you want me to watch? I'll watch it before the season ends. Oh, I don't know. Ooh, this is fun. I don't know that I should, because I would want you to watch a horror movie, and I don't know that. That's fine. It was going to have demons in it. I'll just watch it on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day, 9 a.m., with eating French toast. I I forget. Did you watch The Conjuring? Yes, I watched that. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. Did you watch the second one? Uh, maybe I have. I think I've watched two of them. no. I don't remember. Why are you gonna make me watch that? Okay, I already watched I think the first actually, one. I think I need to take a minute and think on what I want you to watch. Okay, this Maybe is gonna be good. Maybe next week. I'll know. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. All right. I mean, it is spooky season, so I'll, we're here yeah. for it. So, yeah. and if you're looking for more content this spooky season, check out our friends over at Red Web. Yeah, they're awesome. They go over conspiracy theories, weird stuff, murder, mm-hmm. just run the gamut. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and check out some of our merch. You know, it is perfect for spooky season. We have a lot of like skeleton type merch and. Um, oh, yeah. I always wear the stuff around Halloween. Oh, especially. yeah. Rooster Teeth Store, baby. And if you're new to the show, go back and listen to our old episodes. They're all evergreen. So you can pick up a new topic anytime. I'm going to think on this movie and get back to okay. you next week, Jess. Until then, bad bye. Bad bye, Elise. 